I was 15 years old. It was one week before my sophomore year of high school was set to begin, and I gladly accepted one last neighborhood odd job. Hoping to sock away some extra cash before the school year began, I agreed to help a man in my community move boxes and furniture. He described the job as moving items from his garage to a nearby storage facility. Upon arrival at the man's home on September 1st, 2009, I was informed of a change in plans. Instead of moving items from his garage to a nearby storage facility, we were to empty his storage unit and bring the leftover items back to his home. The job took longer than expected. It was supposed to be over by 1 p.m. At 2.30 p.m., I was still there. That's also when I received a call from my father. I think it's time for you to leave, my father said on the other end of the line. The man said we still had to take his belongings to a friend's house. Overhearing bits of the conversation, the man assured me that his friend's house was just five to ten minutes away. I jumped in his truck, and we began the short trip, which turned into a 45-minute drive. We eventually arrived at our destination, his friend's house at the top of a grassy hill. A shed stood away from the house at the bottom of the hill. We got to work emptying the shed. A box made its way into my hands. I looked down into the box. It was a normal, open, cardboard box. I saw books and hay, and when I say hay, it was literally straw protruding from the box. I thought to myself, this is an odd assortment of items, but who am I to judge what other people store in their sheds? Just toss it, the man's friend said, and I did as I was told. As soon as the box hit the ground, I saw liquid substance flying toward me. It hit my face with a splash, and I felt like I was on fire. My hands trembling and my legs shaking, I cried out for help. It felt like holes were burning into my skin. I wondered if this was the end. The man led me up to the top of the hill as he spoke on the phone to the 911 operator. She asked about what was in the box. The man didn't know, so he handed me the phone and headed back down the hill, presumably to inspect the box. I stood at the top of the hill, writhing in pain. After a few minutes, I dropped to my knees, unable to stand. I wondered if my fate was to die at the top of this hill at the age of 15. Suddenly, I heard sirens in the distance. The paramedics had arrived. Once they came and met me on the ground, they placed me onto a stretcher, and I was lifted up into the ambulance. I surveyed the trees surrounding the property. I wondered if that was the last time that I would ever see trees. The man's friend told the paramedics that a jar of sulfuric acid had been in the box. It belonged to the friend's ex-husband, who allegedly used acid for metal etching. I clung to the stretcher on the frenzied ambulance ride to the hospital. Upon arrival, I was stripped naked and placed into a chemical shower. I was wheeled back to a room. It was clear from the beginning of my stay that the staff was preparing for me to be transferred to Children's Hospital, which is located in Washington, D.C., but before I was wheeled out to the helicopter, a nurse overheard me say that I'd yet to see myself since the accident. He threw a mirror in my lap, and I saw myself for the very first time. All I could see were dark stains, black and brown, that were encompassing my face. I did not recognize the image reflected back to me. It didn't look like me. Shortly thereafter, I was medevaced to Children's Hospital for surgery. It was there that the ophthalmologist told my parents that she had no medical explanation for why I could see based on the condition of my eyelids. I was told how lucky I was by the medical staff. But honestly, I didn't feel so lucky. I just lost my face. I remember lying awake that night in the hospital bed. I wondered if anyone would ever love me, scars and all. I wondered if I would ever find a beautiful woman who would choose me despite how I looked. 
Within 24 hours, the doctor said I could go home. There was nothing left that they could do. The rest was up to me. This was just the beginning of my journey, one that lasted a decade. Unlike the rest of the class of 2012, I spent the first few months of the school year on homebound tutoring, unable to leave the house due to the risk of infection. Over the course of the next several years, I had more than a dozen surgeries, facial reconstructive surgeries, laser operations, even a skin graft. Much of my high school years and even into my young adulthood were consumed with doctor's appointments, surgeries, and medical visits. Along my journey, I realized that it wasn't just about the physical scars. I also had deep emotional scars, ones that in some ways affected my life far more than the physical ones. For instance, I had trouble looking in the mirror because it reminded me of the worst day of my life. I struggled with flashbacks, suicidal thoughts, insomnia, irritability. I started going to counseling and was diagnosed with symptoms of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. The future seemed so uncertain. I wasn't sure that I could go to college, find a job, or succeed in the workplace. In counseling, I was introduced to a concept that I've carried with me ever since. It was the idea of a toolbox. I was on a quest to develop the necessary tools to fill my toolbox so that I could be ready to face whatever came my way. What were those tools, you ask? They were therapy sessions, medication for a short time, journaling about my experience, diet and exercise, and even sharing my story with others. When I graduated from high school, I decided I no longer wanted to talk about the accident that never should have been. I really wanted a fresh start. Yet I soon realized that by remaining silent about my past, I was robbing myself of the opportunity to have a redemptive aspect to my story. By telling other people about my scars, I could help them come to peace with their own. After all, I knew this firsthand. I didn't meet a fellow burn survivor until several years after the accident. One day, as I was driving to work, I heard a distinctive voice on the radio. It was then that I first heard the story of Bob Timberg, an accomplished reporter for the Baltimore Sun. He also happened to be a burn survivor. Serving as a Marine during the Vietnam War, the vehicle that he was traveling in went over a landmine. He suffered third-degree burns over most of his body as a result. He had just written a memoir about his experience. Fortuitously, Washington, D.C. happened to be one of the first stops on, on his book tour. I attended the event, and we spoke for just a few minutes. We traded our stories. And although our stories were different, we both knew what it was like to be burned. He signed a copy of his book and handed it to me. As I left the store, I read what he had written. To Samuel, who knows about comebacks. Those words could not have been any more meaningful to me. This acknowledgement from a fellow burn survivor of all that I had been through made me feel emboldened to share my own story with others. So after years of journaling, I turned my writing into a memoir about my experiences, and I called it, Can You See My Scars? I wanted to share my scars with the world through this book. I wanted to capture my decade-long journey of both physical and emotional recovery. I wanted others to know about my struggles with faith, friends, romantic relationships, and really what it means to be human. I wanted to share how I came to peace with my scars, because through my experience, I've learned that we all have scars. Yours might not be as visible as mine are, but this doesn't make them any less real. The question isn't whether we will face adversity. The question is what we will do once it arrives. My story today is a happy one. I married the love of my life last year. I wish I could go back and tell my 15-year-old self that I would find a beautiful and intelligent woman who would fall in love with me, scars and all. 
I was able to graduate from college, obtain a good job in the tech industry, and even publish a book about my experience with trauma. But it wasn't always this way. I had to take the time and the years, really, to grieve and work through the trauma that I had endured. So to those listeners out there who are struggling, especially in the midst of this ongoing pandemic, take heart. You too can overcome the adversity you're facing in your own life, and you too can make a difference by sharing your scars with others. I've learned that adversity is simply an opportunity for us to rise above, to dig deep, and develop the necessary tools and resources to overcome. When I think about what I've learned about myself through sharing my story, it's it's hard to put it into words. I guess what I can say is I've learned that I'm much stronger than I ever imagined. Sharing my story is both so incredibly cathartic, but it's also extremely painful. And reliving this experience isn't always easy, but I've learned that I can keep going and push forward. And I'm encouraged by those who've contacted me since I published my book with kind words of how my story has affected them. I had someone tell me recently that they went back to counseling as a result of hearing my story. And I had someone else tell me that they were able to see that they too were struggling with the same symptoms I experienced in the wake of the accident. I never would have known that if I hadn't read your book, this person told me. So hearing such words and hearing these stories makes makes it worth it. It makes it worth telling my story over and over again in the hopes of inspiring others and making a difference in their lives. My biggest dream... Uh, I have so many dreams uh, for the future, but my biggest dream, I would have to say, is to be a good husband and hopefully one day a, a good father. While I hope to achieve uh, much professional success, my, my professional goals simply pale in comparison to my desire to love my wife more and more each day and to build a beautiful family with the woman of my dreams. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.